Welcome to the Next Level Human Podcast. As a human, you have a job to do. In fact, you have four jobs. To earn and manage money, to attain and maintain health and fitness, to build and sustain personal relationships, to find meaning and make a difference. None of these jobs are taught in school. And that is what this podcast is designed to do, to educate us all on living our most fulfilled lives through the mastery of these four jobs. I'm your host, Dr. Jade Tita, and I believe we are here living this life for three reasons and three reasons only, to learn, to teach, and to love. In this podcast, I will be learning, teaching, and loving right along with you. Grateful to have your company. Here's to our next level. Okay, everybody, welcome to uh, today's show. We're back with my good friend Emily Goff, and what are we what are we talking about today? <laughs> so Emily and I, this particular this particular <laughs> podcast. Uh, Emily and I actually wrote a book together, and those of you who are longtime followers of the podcast know that Emily and I, she's basically a recurring guest on my show, and I am on her show Mm -hmm. as well. She has the Room to Grow podcast, and we usually get together and talk relationship stuff all of the time, and it's a nice dynamic Mm -hmm. because, as we like to tell people, we are um, completely, what's the word? I was going to say completely monogamous. That's not the word. It's the, we're platonic. Oh, platonic. We're platonic, yes. yes. So, we're completely platonic. Never been, never been um, sibling energy. Yeah, sibling energy. Never been romantically involved, and it's one of these really interesting things because we're both cis hetero male female, and having not having having more of a uh, brother sister dynamic, and not actually being brothers and sisters, we get to talk about things that not a lot of cis hetero individuals, uh, male female, get to talk about, and so we also took that closeness uh, and our dynamic, and we just wrote a book together as well. And as a matter of fact, this morning we had, um, we hired an editor to kind of do the first developmental edit. So we got our first rough draft done, did our first developmental edit. And we were going to talk today about the process of writing a book on relationships. And this is going to be sort of a mismatch between uh, what the book's about and our relationship sort of uh, styles, which are slightly different between the two of us and slightly different, uh, you know, sort of uh, places that we're coming from, and also just the book uh, process. And I had recommended that we do this podcast a while back and forgot. And before we got on, I was like, what are we What are we doing today? And so I'm going to let you actually uh, start out, Emily, wherever you want to start. And I guess I'll just try to key you up a little bit. And um, this was my, not my first book. I've written a ton. Uh, I think this will be my eighth or ninth book, this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're first. Yes. And so let's just kind of get into this uh, in terms of trying to help people who want to write a book because they see it as part of their purpose. And obviously, Next Level Human is all about, you know, bringing your uh, purposeful, you know, sort of wisdom to the world and contributing in a way that only you can. Mm-hmm. And a book can certainly do that. And many people might want to write a book. And then also just about the process and about relationships in general. I'm just going to let you start wherever you want. Well, you first suggested that you and I write a book about relationships together two years ago. And for several months, at least, I thought you were joking. <laughs> I actually just didn't believe you. And you kept bringing it up. And finally, I was like, are you, are you, are you, you know, messing with me? Are we actually, are we doing this? And you're like, yeah, why are we not writing a book about relationships? Because it is all we often talk about. I mean, amongst other things, but it's our favorite topic. Um, so we had originally planned on writing it uh, a couple of years ago when I was coming to stay with you for a bit. That didn't really work out for a variety of reasons. And I think timing wise, it was perfect that it worked out more to happen, um, you know, a few months ago when we sat down to do it. And you have a very specific process when it comes to writing books and you have written a lot of books. So you have this really well established. Um, so I'm going to have you sort of like go into more about the actual process, but we'll also get more into the the personal elements of this, because one of the reasons why we didn't record this episode a few months ago, right after we finished the book, was because we both got so sick that we could barely function and that it was part of the book writing process. It was like this release of getting everything up and out to the point where we were, 
exhausted and it took everything we had like emotionally energetically physically um and we both got super sick by by the end of it and you said that that's actually something that's very common for you whenever you finish a book is that that often happens so we can get into um not only the the process itself but the more emotional aspects that came up because you had some shit going on when we sat down to write um i ended up uh starting to date my now partner while we were writing (laughs) And there's just a lot of really interesting timing aspects that came out of this. And initially when we sat down to write the book, because you in particular had some shit going on, we were like, "Mm, is this really a good time? But we actually realized it was sort of the best time Mm -hmm. to open up and get a lot of things up and out. So why don't you you tell us a little bit about um, the book writing process? Because people are blown away that you and I wrote close to 100,000 words Mm -hmm. uh, in nine days. Yeah, We took one day off. So it was over the course of 10 days. We took one day off. But other than that, we sat down and wrote 100,000 words. To be clear, Jade wrote uh, more so the majority of that than I did because he's a much faster writer than I am because he's a seasoned professional at this. Um, and it is my first time. And I had a lot of imposter syndrome too about about writing this book. And you had to coach me through that uh, quite a bit as well. Yeah. So why don't you tell them about sort of the, your process that we started uh, when we went through this? Yeah. And to, I guess to make this not, uh, I was... To make this something that is useful for all of you listening, the first thing I guess I'll say is um, journaling in general and writing in general. I have come to see as one of the most important self-development tools um, that I have experienced. As a matter of fact, so much so that um, I went down to Costa Rica several years back to do an ayahuasca retreat. Uh, And for those of you who don't know, ayahuasca is one of these what I would call big gun psychedelics that kind of get you into this deep mental state and deep unconscious to process old traumas and old wounds and all that kind of stuff. And on the third day of this uh, retreat, because we did three ayahuasca retreats, um, I was wondering sort of out loud while I was in the uh, coming out of the ayahuasca experience, uh, you kind of get hit really hard with it and you're kind of just floating in the giant electron, like I like to say. And then you start to come out of it and get a bit, little bit more lucid and logical. And I was wondering how come my process, because, you know, you're in the room with a lot of people and you can tell that they're dealing with lots of old wounds and old traumas. And throughout that week, I had uh, listened to people talk about all the old stuff, father wounds, mother wounds, betrayals, you know, all the stuff that we humans have to deal with. And I wasn't dealing with any of that stuff. I kind of went right towards just big philosophical, like big life questions, like why are we here? And, you know, what is the human experience really about? And all of these things. And uh, one of the questions I sort of asked, and by asked, I mean, I just kind of thought out loud of like, why am I not dealing with any of these old wound kinds of things? And the immediate uh, insight came to me that I had processed them all over the years through writing. And so that I did not necessarily need to reprocess my mother wound and my brother wound and some of the, uh, you know, disappointments in my life. And so this is the first thing I would say about writing in general. So whether you're ever even going to write a book, I guess the process that Emily and I are going to describe is an incredibly cathartic uh, process and allows you to clear Uh, to get a little bit woo-woo, like a lot of, you know, uh, unconscious stories and energies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just because when you get into the writing process, you are tapping into a lot of unconscious, especially the way I I like uh, to do it. And so what I would say here is if you you want to write a book, this is the way that I do it. And I do have a book course, uh, and I'll tell you a little bit about that towards the end of this. Uh, But whether you're going to write a book or not, I would say this process probably works... um, really well for self-development in general. Uh, it's a, you could you almost use this as a journaling uh, technique. And I guess I, before I launch into this, I'll just see, why don't we, I, I'm curious for you of like how you saw that, because I know you've journaled and you've done that mm-hmm. kind of stuff before. What was different for you about actually sitting down writing a book? Was, did you process in hindsight now? I know we processed a lot. We both had a lot of emotional stuff happen, mm-hmm. come up during that book. But I'm wondering, uh, you know, before I get into the actual process, maybe we could each discuss a little bit about what was coming up and how, was, how this was processing emotional things. Was it for you? I think I know that you were having 
a lot of emotional stuff come up during the process, but I'm wondering how you see it now, given we're months away. I think we, you know, it's, it's uh, July now, uh, end of July, almost August. And we did this back in April. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you and I both have always found writing to be very cathartic and it was an incredibly emotional process. Even when, when you and I first, and we'll, we'll get a, a little bit more into the more personal aspects um, after, we, after we go through your writing process more. But uh, when you and I started the first day to even just do the outline, I laugh because I had been trying to set up, you know, my camera and stuff to capture footage of us to use for reels later for the promotion of the book when we, when, when it comes out in, in uh, the spring. And I accidentally caught on time-lapse <laughs> the highly emotionally charged afternoon that you and I had where you were kind of like yelling, not at me at one point, but you were just sort of yelling. I was crying. Uh, then you calmed down. Then I freaked out about something else. Like there was like, <laughs> yeah, there was a lot happening. And if you look at the time-lapse slowly, you can see both of our like massive emotional outbursts that were happening. Um, and, and there were a lot of tears over the course of those nine days uh, for both of us, more so me than you. But there were tears on both sides just as some of this stuff came up and out and there were things that as I was writing because of the the structure that that you have um, put in place very strictly about uh, writing for 60 minutes at a time and stuff and you'll walk everyone through that and your entire rule the all along was just write. Mm-hmm. you're like just write just get the words out no editing no nothing just let it let it flow and come out of you and after the first day or two um, I started meditating and you did as well actually we would both meditate separately and then come together to write the book and basically to just ask whatever the universe the ether whatever you you want to refer to it as to allow what wanted to come through to come through and to get out of the way to get out of the way and to allow these things to flow through. And that actually, I don't know if that was just a placebo effect or what, but that did seem to make it easier for me. And then as I was writing some things, we would finish the hour and I would be in tears because I had just written on on the page things, made connections to old trauma and wounds and why I did certain things or why I showed up a particular way that I had never consciously realized before. And I was having these realizations pour out of me in real time. And that was, that was really fascinating to see that. And it felt incredibly healing from a lot of aspects as well. Um, and even though we were super drained by the end of it, there, there was a lot processed mm. over those, those nine days. Yeah. There's something that happens when uh, obviously this book was a uh, part expertise and part story. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't, you know, like a lot of people write books and they'll like, you know, they'll research a particular subject, like they'll research Martin Luther King or, you know, something like that. And then they'll write on that research and other people write their stories from their lives. And so Emily, we're writing our stories from our lives as well as presenting our expertise from our practice and sort of a framework uh, for the way we view relationships, which is slightly different, but I think we do converge on the fact that relationships should be growth oriented. And in the stories of telling your life, your life story, that's where you start seeing some really interesting things. When you put your stories on paper, uh, you start to begin to reprocess these things, sometimes emotionally, sometimes logically, obviously uh, a little bit of both. Uh, but because you're putting it in a narrative format, you also get a glimpse into uh, the fact that, you know, you start to question even sometimes like, is this really the way the story went down or is it just my perception? So you come face to face as you're writing your story with the story you wrote. And let me just talk about that just a minute. When things happen to us in life, you know, things happen. There's these lightning strike moments. And then we write a story because our memory is imperfect. We make Uh, up something about what that means. In other words, so something happens and let's say we're betrayed, we might write a story and go, well, I can't trust anyone or life isn't safe or I'm always going to be let down or whatever. And those stories oftentimes harken back to stories we wrote as children when we really didn't have any um, sort of uh, the consciousness to know that we were writing stories. We call these seed stories This is where, you know, uh, these adverse childhood events or traumas or trials or tribulations in our childhood, we decide what the world means and how it works, whether it's safe or not safe, whether we belong or not, whether we have freedom or not, all of these things. They become sort of seed stories in the soil of our subconscious that then grow and influence other stories. And sometimes as you're writing your story in a book or in a journaling format, 
you come face to face oftentimes with these seed stories or you find a, a, a thread of a narrative that you start going, where did this come from? And it pushes you back into your, your past. And this is why it can be um, so powerful when you write about your story. One of the things you see is you go, well, this is the way I saw it, but how did the other side see it? So you can take different perspectives, right? You can have the uh, first person perspective. You can have the second person perspective. You can have the third person perspective of the fly on the wall. And then you can have the sort of universal God perspective. Uh, and oftentimes this will take you to that universal sort of God perspective. You start getting insights and and things like that. And I think that's a lot of what was happening uh, with us. And, you know, I tend to be, you know, I don't always love this term because people have it wrong, but I tend to be pretty stoic in the way that I show up in the world and pretty logical. And certainly Emily, I think mostly knows me that way, although she knows me better than most people. So she's seen a lot of my actual authentic personality that doesn't get to be shared out in the world a lot. And yeah, in this particular case, I was uncharacteristically uh, wide open um, and a little bit angry and forceful and just like venting uh, in a very, you know, more forceful way than she was used to. <laughs> and uh, and she was uh, definitely having her own emotional reactions. But the first thing I would say before we, you know, really get into the process of writing a book or using this for your own healing is that you got to be aware of uh, the stories that you're writing and also being aware that they are simply that a story and they may not be as, as accurate as you think. And there's a lot of emotional, uh, you know, sort of uh, underpinnings and uh, stories that came before that. Uh, I'll just give you a quick example. Then I want to get your take on this, Emily. But, but, but an example might be when I was a kid, I oftentimes tell the story that my mother was an emotionally volatile mother. You know, sometimes she was very uh, loving and like we could do it no wrong and the house would be a mess and she'd just be happy and other times if we left one sock on the floor she would freak out and there were times I caught her you know sobbing in her room and times I caught her you know saying I don't want to be here and that was pretty scary as a child and because I did you know uh, didn't have the logic to understand that I wrote a story that uh, you know perhaps that I needed to be uh, the life that it, it's unsafe women female emotions are unsafe they can't be trusted uh, I wrote that would be a seed story and that seed story started to dominate a lot of my life moving forward, especially when I started dating, etc. And that's why these things can begin to uncover this. It, well, I didn't uncover completely my story until I really wrote about my mother's story and then realized how that uh, impacted me. So this is where it can be uh, so powerful. So I don't know if you want to talk about, Emily, some of the seed stories or stories that came up for you or anything like that before we start getting into uh, you know, sort of some of the process. There was, um, you know, for, for a while now, you have been on me about uh, clearing even more. I've already done a lot of work in this area, but clearing even more about a father wound that I have. So a father who uh, who left when I was 15, we have not had a relationship since. Um, so it's been over 20 years at this point and how that subsequently has affected all of my other relationships that I have had since then. Um, that that was a really big one. And there were a lot of pieces that were coming together with that, where I was starting to see patterns that I had denied in the writing of the book. I was starting to see patterns come out that I had denied to myself for a long time of the relationship between those two things. Even though from a very logical perspective, of course, I had seen, you know, some of like the bigger pieces, but I hadn't quite seen or understood fully how some of the, the more subtle nuanced ways that that wound had impacted the way that I was showing up in the world in general, in all of my relationships, not, not only romantic. Um, and, and the way that I would find ways to make sure that everybody else, um, felt taken care of by me and to make sure that I felt needed in some way, because then that better cemented my certainty that I would not be abandoned by different people. And that was a realization where I was like, wow, I had no idea that these aspects that I have just built into my personality, they're not necessarily part of my personality. We were actually talking about this right before we we jumped on, that a realization that I have started to have it, now that I'm also happened to be in, in by far the healthiest romantic relationship I've ever been in, is that 
I, I, I find myself sometimes constantly checking in, <laughs> in, at least initially, am I losing myself? I cannot lose myself again. Am I losing myself? And what I started to realize was actually, I'm not losing myself. And I know the difference because I have lost myself before and I know what that feels like. But what I have noticed coming up is that as my defenses and, and uh, protection mechanisms are lowering, to allow the, the love to flow and to allow the growth of this relationship to happen, it felt similar to losing myself because I had built those, those defenses and protections into my personality. So it felt like losing a part of my personality, but that was never part of my personality. Those were trauma responses to wounds that happened from childhood. Those, those aren't actually who I am at my core. They can influence the ways that we show up in the world. But when we start to see them in a different lens and can start to understand that there's more than one angle to this and that there are different stories that we can write around these things. And you've also had the experience of what truly losing yourself actually feels like. You can differentiate between the two and it puts a very different spin on it. And, and that can massively shift the way that we show up in relationships because when all you've ever known in romantic relationships, relationships in general, is chaos and um, inconsistency and, uh, you know, dis-ease in a lot of ways, then getting involved in a relationship that feels safe and, um, and actually calm and all of these things, our nervous systems are, surfing, are search, searching for the familiar. And if the familiar is the chaos, then something that is calm is going to feel very unfamiliar and potentially unsafe as a result because we don't recognize it for what it is. So then we have an opportunity to write a new story and to start to unwind and unravel, as we talk about in the book too, some of these psychological knots, to use your language, that um, that we've we've created over a lifetime and we get to turn it into something else. I'm sorry to break into the show, but I wanted to take a second to cover one of our sponsors and tell you all about Paleo Valley at paleovalley.com. These are the grass-fed sticks that I tell you all so much about that all of my friends know I have on hand constantly. They are in my car. They are at my house. I keep them at my sister's home and my parents' house. I have these things everywhere because they are the simplest, most convenient whole foods protein supplement you can get almost like carrying around pure protein, low carb protein in your pocket. They also, these Paleo Valley beef sticks are the only, the only 100% grass fed and grass finished beef sticks on the market. They use organic spices. They are naturally fermented instead of using nitrates and nitrites that can be a problem in some of these cured meats, and they simply taste fantastic. Check out the original or the jalapeno. Those are my favorites. Please make sure you go over to paleovalley.com and visit. When checking out, use the code next level for a 15% discount. Remember, our sponsors keep the show going by you giving them your patronage and spending your money on these high quality products you actually do a few things. One, you're helping to support the podcast. And two, you are helping your health. And three, you are making sure that good quality companies like Paleo Valley can be out there doing their business, changing the world, making the earth better. One of the things you may not know about this is that grass-fed organic and grass-finished beef is doing something that is so utterly important for our environment, actually helping to repopulate the topsoil. A lot of people don't know this, but our topsoil is being extremely depleted and raising animals, especially cattle, the correct way helps to get that topsoil back. This is one of the reasons why I love Paleo Valley, not to mention it tastes fantastic, but they're one of these companies like my other sponsors, Cured Nutrition and Organifi that are doing the right things by the environment. I really appreciate everything they do and I hope you will check them out. Thanks so much. Paleovalley.com. Use the code next level. And now back to the show. Yeah. And we get to heal through the writing process. Mm -hmm. We get to uh, become aware of and because awareness is the first step and then begin to unwind and uh, potentially get to heal and bring the story to 
um, completion mm-hmm. in a sense. And so I want to say something about that. Then I want to hear a little bit about what things came up for you. Cause it's, I don't think it's uh, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but is it purely coincidence that you got in a relationship right after <laughs> writing that book? And one of the things that you were, you know, kind of thinking to yourselves like, wow, I haven't been in a relationship in a while, you know, and, and you all of a sudden got into one, <laughs> you know, but one of the things I'll say is that, uh, whether you're going to write a book and use this uh, podcast as a way to begin to really write, not just for yourself or others, or whether you're just going to do it for yourself, the writing process, here's part of what I think, let me let this uh, siren go by. Here's part of what I think uh, you need to be aware of, that when you're writing a story, and you and I talked about this a lot, Emily, during the process, is that you want to bring it to completion. One of the things that will happen when people write is they don't tidy up the story. They'll get very bogged down into the leading up, like something happened, and they'll get very much writing all about leading up to what happened. Then they'll hit what happened, and then the story stops. And what you want to do in order to make this a healing process for your unconscious mind is you want to understand the the story architecture, which essentially starts, it's the hero's journey. Any good story essentially follows this arc. And so essentially what you're doing is you're essentially saying this happened, right? And rather than getting so caught up in the the prequel, what, what was going on before, you quickly get into the emotional feelings of what happened, how you went from one emotional state to another emotional state. And there's a sort of, uh, you know, sort of struggle to get back to balance. And in that struggle, we will try sort of multiple things. And usually the first try, first, second try fails. And then we figure out something. There's some kind of big insight that allows us to see the world differently and then be differently in the world. And that's how you complete the story. So, you know, in therapy and in therapeutic processes and counseling process, they call this story editing. It's one way of doing it. And essentially to do a story edit, you essentially say, you know, part one is here's what happened, really focusing on the feelings of what happened. Uh, And then uh, part two is the story you created. I told myself life was unsafe. I told myself I wasn't worthy, whatever I told myself. And then the third part is deciding what you will do about it and how you will make your life and other people's lives better uh, for doing something about it. And so from my perspective, You want to keep this in mind whenever you're writing a story, whether for therapeutic purposes, using story editing to sort of clear old wounds, uh, a a form of story editing that's my favorite that I use all the time in my journey events is written exposure therapy, which essentially follows that that pattern. It's like you get deep into the emotions of the wound. You basically... uh, the way, at least the way I do it, you discuss, you know, tell yourself what story did I tell myself when that happened, which is sometimes harder to do. And then you go, now, what am I going to make it mean? And a lot of us have never fully uh, integrated these stories. And the full integration happens when you go, uh, you stop focusing on what happened and you start focusing on what did I tell myself about what this event and then how am I going to use it? And many of us never get there. And so whether you're writing Uh, you know, this for therapeutic purposes or whether you're writing a book, you have to complete uh, that arc. And oftentimes the writing process, because it's almost like you're separating. I oftentimes say when you sit down to write, there's, there's the you and then there's the you looking over your shoulder. So the observer effect becomes pretty big in this and you almost are writing from both places. Right. So, yes, it's a first person experience, but it's almost like a first person within a first person. Right. It's like your observer. Maybe some people might call it your spiritual self is, uh, you know, you're separating from uh, you kind of split in two. There is the person that the thing happened to. And then there's the person who is objectively looking at the thing and writing about the thing that happened uh, to you. But you want to make sure that arc completes. And if you don't, you don't really have a good book or a good story. Uh, and, uh, if you do, you begin to process things and emotions will come out of that. When you realize certain things, that's when the emotions uh, come up. And, and one of the other things I'll just say about writing is most people, they write books like they write blogs, right? And blogs are essentially like more of a bulleted point type of writing. It's like, you know, uh, a little bit of background, not a whole lot of story, but a little bit of background in something. And then like, try this, try that, try this. Whereas this process is really like a lot of story and a lot of insight around it. And then, uh, you know, not as much try this, try that. It's more like, 
here's the story, here's the insight, and here's some things you might do. But I'm curious for you, uh, what kind of things do you feel like came up? And do you feel like, uh, and I don't know, by the way, maybe, maybe you'll just be like, nah, definitely not. It's just a coincidence. But do you think uh, going through this process, what do you feel like potentially healed in you? And do you feel like it had anything to do with being open to a new relationship or was it just good timing and circumstances? I think it was a combination of both. I, I think that there, you know, I, I've been doing the work on myself for a long time and I think that it, it just, it unfolded in that way in a really beautiful way. However, I also don't believe in coincidences. <laughs> and I said to uh, my partner who you introduced us, uh, actually, um, he's been on both of our podcasts. You, I said to him that you and I, meaning you and I, Jade, had had conversations the week, pro- the week leading up to us going out, uh, me going out on a date with, with my partner, um, that shifted things in me, not only for the writing process, but changed some of my belief systems in some ways that meant that I was even more open to the relationship. Even things like trying to um, control timelines is a classic one for me. Trying to control the way people see me There is no hiding that when you're writing a book. And you reminded me of that continuously, that like the ego is going to come out in full force, that even even if you're used to putting it aside and whatever, something like a book, this is a very different type of endeavor. This is a very different project. And it can can block us from allowing what needs to come through to come through and in very sneaky and seemingly justifiable ways. Like, oh, you know, I don't want to write about this thing because, you know, this this will make me look a particular way. That's not necessarily a conscious thought, but that's the process that the ego is going through to protect us in a lot of ways. And you kept reminding me of that, uh, particularly though over the first couple of days before I sort of started to get the hang of it a little more that I didn't want to control that because then it would lead to a very limited experience for the reader. Like we, we need to be able to tap into that more raw parts of ourselves for people to connect with that. Um, and for me to be able to connect with the material that I'm writing myself, because otherwise it just feels like I'm writing a third person story that I'm not even connected to anymore. In a lot of ways, this process, you, you have to go into the pain in some ways to sure you still have some detachment, but you also still need to actually go into it to remember what it felt like when you were going through that thing. Even if you currently have more detachment from it because you've healed a lot of that. And I think it is important to, to write sometimes from a healed place for, for a project like this, but you still have to allow yourself the process to go back into how did I truly feel in those moments? What was going on for me internally when, when that thing happened, when that event happened, when that relationship ended, what, what was it that was going on? That turmoil actually needs to be tapped into because otherwise it's going to be a lot harder to convey the depth of the emotions. And one thing that I found myself doing that you had to catch me on a few times was I was writing from an almost, um, an almost too detached perspective because there were so many things that already worked through. I was like, oh, here's just sort of like the brief explanation without allowing anyone to feel me in it and to actually truly feel the pain that I felt in that moment when the thing happened to actually come through. And that is part of the writing process. It's one of the reasons why it makes for such an emotionally draining experience because to keep going back into that pain takes a lot out of us. It takes a lot. Yeah. And what I would say too, is like, just made, made me think what you were saying, you know, um, obviously I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. I'm sure many of you are, she's incredibly popular. Most people have heard, uh, and read her books, uh, and pay close attention to her and the concept of vulnerability. One of the, my pet peeves about vulnerability is it's turned into this idea of like, I don't have any problem. I'm vulnerable because people can see my, I'll allow people to see my emotions, uh, especially sadness. So this is, you know, which women are very good at, you know, sort of, that's an easy vulnerable vulnerability. But to me, what I really see about vulnerability is to, is to me, it's really not letting people see your emotions. It's letting people see your insecurities, The it's letting people see the parts of yourself that you feel like are a fraud. It's letting people see, you know, the parts of yourself that, you know, you struggle with, you know, cause truth of the matter is, it's funny, like, you know, if you are someone who expresses sadness easy and you express it in, 
have yourself crying on social media or something like that. I'm not sure how vulnerable that actually is because it's something you're comfortable doing. What we are very uh, uncomfortable, though, uh, all of us, me included, is letting people see uh, the things that we are, um, you know, we have an identity that we want people to see us as and to let them to, to think that they might see us as different is scary and that kind of comes up but a great book allows people to watch the struggle of how you see things <laughs> we're both laughing right now because <laughs> my little puppy stoey is like just being the cutest thing sitting on the couch just watching there. us like yeah <laughs> but you know so to me it really is about coming face to face with that because what's interesting about a book versus a journal right because your journal you're usually not going to share with someone you'll get but the power one of the powerful things about a book that you're confronted with is like oh my god people are going to read this about me and see me as weak or see me as insensitive or see me as you know not a good human or see me as you know however they're going to see you and yeah they actually are like in a lot of ways you know like there are going to be some people that read your book and just are like i can't stand this person well here are two big insecurities that i continuously kept having come up throughout the the book process that you had to work with me around a lot one was that i for anyone who doesn't know i was in a nine-year relationship there's more about this in the book i was in a nine-year relationship um that ended very dramatically when uh his previous girlfriend came to the door of our house on christmas eve to inform me that he'd been having an affair with her off and on for our entire nine years together and all of the all of the lies that came with it. So when I was writing about that in the book, one of the things that that you and I ended up talking about was that so much of me felt like, even though I spent nine years with that human building, what seemed from my side to be actually a pretty healthy relationship, it, then that turned into shambles in my mind, as though it never really existed when I found out what had been going on behind closed doors. So it almost felt like, was I really in a nine-year relationship? Did I really learn the things that I think I learned? Do I, do I really know how to be in a relationship? If, if the relationship, my longest relationship by far, turned out to be what it was mm -hmm. when I was being deceived. So that was a really big one. The other one that was a massive one for me, ironically, was um, that I was like, who am I to be giving relationship advice when I'm not in the relationship that I want to be in right now? Mm -hmm. And I so prefer that you and I wrote the book while I was not yet in a relationship because even, even though I am now, the, the entire premise of the book has nothing to do with, with you know, the, the being in the relationship because we approach it from growth. So I don't want to frame it for anyone as like, oh, this is my happily ever after. That's not how I, I, I think about relationships. You and I are both very aligned on the fact that we think of relationships from a growth-oriented perspective. And what can, what can we learn from this other human that we are engaging with? And I'm so grateful for the experience and I'm excited to see how it continues to unfold. But I actually wouldn't have wanted to have written the book from the place of, oh, and by the way, I went through all of, all of these, these painful moments, but don't worry, here's my, my happily ever after. We actively rail against that in the book because that's some, some Disney shit that is not real life. Yeah. That's not real life. And even if you do remain in, we've stated this on the podcast before, like a happy, healthy, beautiful, fulfilling relationship for the rest of your life, there are still going to be hard seasons. There are going to be challenges. There are going to be a lot of, a lot of things that come up that you have to work through. And it is not going to be sunshine and rainbows all the time, even if you're wildly happy with the person overall. Mm -hmm. So we have to think of it from the growth perspective. I don't even think we've shared on this episode the name of the book. The name of the book is You Grow Me mm -hmm. <laughs> instead of You Complete Me, which is the whole Jerry Maguire um, scene from the movie back in what, the 90s, yep. I think? Yep. Yeah, where you know she says to him, professes her love and, and that you know you complete me. And uh, it, it's, it, that's, that's how Hollywood in general has often painted it to us and culturally we really feel sometimes like there's someone out there the one who is going to complete us they're going to make make our lives just so much better all of our problems will poof disappear when we get into the right relationship that's not how it works want to jump in real quick and tell you about one of my favorite new products and to start out i want to ask you a question if you had to follow your friends around who are not the healthiest in the world and see what they are doing, what would be the number one thing you would probably tell them to do to start? 
For most people, that's going to be drinking more water, right? This is something that we talk about all the time in health and fitness. It's almost as if we think of it as an afterthought now because obviously water is so crucial. However, we oftentimes get this wrong. For example, did you know that when it comes to hydration, just drinking water can make things worse? Most people don't know this. Why? Partly because most people are over drinking water and under consuming the electrolytes that help water do its job. What we don't realize is that hydration is not just about water. It's about electrolytes, the minerals in there, as well as getting that water into the cells. And so you do not want to be over consuming water if you're not getting your electrolytes right. And this opens up a whole new discussion because most people are not getting their electrolytes right. For example, did you know that low sodium, too low sodium is an issue? Just as much, if not more so, than high sodium. In other words, what we want if we're going to get the right electrolytes is to get the right amount of sodium and potassium and magnesium in the Goldilocks zone. We don't want too much. We don't want too little. We want it just right. This opens up a whole other thing here too because people who are exercising, doing sauna therapies, doing low-carb diets are disrupting and losing lots and lots of their electrolytes. For example, when insulin is not around in low-carb diets, you will excrete lots of sodium. In other words, under that state, exercising, low-carb diets, all these things, you actually need more sodium. And so if you're somebody who has been just drinking water, not paying attention to electrolytes, and also feeling fatigued, feeling like you're underperforming, not sleeping right, getting cramps, twitches, headaches, any of these things, then you are probably dealing with an electrolyte issue. This is where the product element comes in. This product has been a game changer for me and many, many of my patients and clients. This is a rehydration electrolyte beverage, basically. It is a powder of electrolytes formulated with 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams magnesium without the added sugar and other nonsense that comes in beverages like Gatorade. This stuff is basically a rehydration beverage on steroids. It is the thing that is going to replenish your electrolytes in the right ratios, decrease fatigue, really correct chronic dehydration. And by the way, many people are dehydrating themselves, becoming hyponatremic, low sodium, when they're consuming too much water. You need your electrolytes on board, especially if you are someone who is losing lots of sodium and other electrolytes through low-carb diets and lots and lots of exercise. This is where Element comes in. Element is a new sponsor to the Next Level Human podcast. I cannot recommend this product enough. I have been using this stuff for months now, and I have immediately seen changes in my energy levels. I feel like I'm operating on a whole other level, and I have seen this as being the primary thing that people who have been using Element have been telling me that their fatigue is getting better, especially fatigue that comes after very intense workouts that involve lots of sweating and lots of intense output from the nervous system. Please check out Element. Use the code next level, drinkelement.com. That's D R I N K L M N T dot com drinkelement.com and let's get back to the show yeah that's and not it, how it and works the only people who i think um there's there's only there's only a few types of people who still believe that after being in real relationships right now, you know we can forgive you know a 20 year old 20 some <laughs> year old person who hasn't had a whole lot of relationships or even a 40 year old person who hasn't had a whole lot of experience in relationships but uh i think you know no one you know truly believes in the you complete me model after they've been through a real relationship and and or real relationships that uh, show up the way they do, except for people who are, uh, you know, in my mind, unconsciously, 
choosing to continue to believe uh, in the matrix of relationships, you know, like this idea that that is, you know, these, some people just go, I, I just, you know, like you hear people say, I'm a hopeless romantic. And to me, I go, a hopeless romantic is essentially um, an adolescent, you know, who, uh, you know, uh, you know, again, get mad at me if you want. This is my opinion. It's kind of harsh and it doesn't mean I'm right, but I, I definitely stand by it, obviously. But to me, it's like an adolescent uh, with very little experience uh, who uh, chooses to remain that way, despite all the evidence to the contrary. You know, it's like uh, to me, the premise of the book is really about sometimes the best relationships in the world. And anybody I think who thinks deeply about this will get this. Sometimes the most the best relationships in the world are the ones that were the most uh, those biggest struggles are the ones that ended in, in fireworks, the, the ones that were because they because they teach you the most. And there's two types of relationships, that type that teaches you a ton. And then there's the one that you're engaged with in loving growth. But the one that I think is just like, you know, you know, you do you behave this way and complete me in this way and I'll behave this way and complete you in this way. And good luck. Uh, there are there are some people who are in relationships like that. I would argue that um, they're they may last, but that these people are have not uh, reached their full potential when they could have if they had you know been in a growth based uh, relationship. And so I think you know, this concept of you grow me, the beautiful thing about it is it allows you to integrate and transform and transcend from relationships that were tough and ended. And it allows the exact same thing to integrate and transcend and transform in relationships that last. And you always have somewhere to go with a you grow me mental uh, and emotional sort of um, orientation towards relationship. Whereas if you have a you complete me orientation, uh, you don't have you know and your whole world blows up in fact if that ends and one of the things i was saying too that that we talked about in the book uh emily is that we talked about this idea of you know the fact that you were in a real relationship that nine-year relationship was an at a real relationship and that's another thing that i think is tough for any of you who have been cheated on in that way or felt betrayed what i think we oftentimes forget is that you know People compartmentalize these things. You're still in a real relationship. You're still having that relationship. It's just that that person is also having another relationship. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so the idea that that wasn't real, that you didn't learn, that you didn't, you know, have, uh, you know, that you didn't have struggles, you didn't have to, you know, compromise, you didn't have to learn about yourself is silly. You, you really did. But so that we don't continue to, uh, you know, continue to uh, drone on on this, why don't you, any final thoughts on that? And then I'll just briefly go through um, you know, sort of the process for those who are looking to write a book and also how to use this, you know, because obviously not all, most people are not going to write a book. So I covered how you can use it sort of therapeutically, but maybe we should go through the process after any thoughts you have in terms of this idea of you completely versus you grow me and how that, how the book, uh, I, how the book sort of made you feel. I do remember, and I don't know, Maybe this is probably just me uh, remembering perhaps wrongly, but one of the things I oftentimes talk about and I'm wondering, I can't remember if we got caught up in this at one point either, but is this idea of outsourcing your needs to someone else. Mm -hmm. And did you, you know, I think there's an argument that can be made and I think you did make it at times like that sometimes we need to outsource or something. I don't know. Like that maybe you want to speak a little bit um, about that. Cause I do think that's ultimately where the you complete me thing comes from. It's like, yeah, I'm going to outsource certain, feelings of worthiness and, you know, um, safety and security and acceptance and belonging to you. And my, my thing is, and this is where me and you may differ slightly. My thing is, is that's impossible. You can never rely on someone else to fulfill your safety and security needs, your acceptance and belonging needs, your worth, your worthiness needs. You simply can't. And to do so in my mind is uh, a disaster waiting to happen. Uh, and, that the you grow me idea is that they can be in process with you and help you to do that work yourself, but they can't do it for you. Well, you and I are actually in complete agreement on that. The, the part that, that we do differ, and we have uh, debated this uh, for many hours on end, but we've actually debated this on, a, on another podcast episode we did as well, was that you asked me months ago uh, why I wanted to be in a relationship. And the answer that I gave you was that I could feel that I was starting to 
hit the ceiling of my own growth and, and almost gotten myself as far as I could in certain areas on my own. It wasn't mean that I wasn't continuing to grow in other areas, but in certain areas, I really could feel strongly that it was only going to be within the constructs of a healthy romantic relationship whenever that that ended up coming into my life that I would be able to hit higher levels of my my full growth in those areas. Mm. And I have already seen that uh, very much come true after having been in the the relationship that I'm in right now. But super quick before we move on, I want you to talk about the headspace that you were in emotionally when we wrote, because I actually came in in a slightly better, you know, emotional state than you did. As soon as I got here, I I was staying with you for a few weeks while we did this. And as soon as I got here, I know you very well. And I walked in the door and I was like, you are drained. Mm -hmm. You are so drained right now. You had been around people for months on end, nonstop. You were someone, we both are, we share this as someone who needs a lot of alone time. And I had never seen you that drained. And then you also had some other things going on that sort of came up during the book as well. Yeah. I had two months. It was probably two months, uh, about a period of eight weeks where I had done uh, two events, two live events. Uh, I had had guest after guest after guest. And me and my girlfriend were going through uh, a really difficult time uh, trying to uh, figure out some different aspects of our uh, preferences. And so we were growing through uh, that, like we all have that idea of like, okay, uh, he wants this, she wants this. How much do I want to change that? Like how willing am I to be flexible and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, I was going through, um, and honestly, uh, kudos to to Emily, like one of the things I said, I, I would not have written that book uh, had Emily not uh, said, I'm coming to Asheville, we're going to sit down <laughs> and do it. In fact, I still wouldn't have written the book. It probably would have gotten written uh, sometime in, in 2024. Uh, so yeah, I was going through um, a really a tough time and I'll just make it a little more tangible for people. One of the things that has come up with me, I have a lot at that time anyway, I have a lot of... Um, girl buddies right and uh my girlfriend has his you know her history is not being as comfortable with that and one of the things that was going on with me is when i first got together with my girlfriend we're still together um is i was like you know i want to kind of change that i want her to know you know all of uh the the women who i have in my life and uh there was an uncomfortable thing where she found some ways that i was being uh, with uh, exes that she just didn't like. And uh, we were in this really interesting thing where I was like, you know what, you're right. That's me being an adolescent. And I had to just see myself and be disappointed in myself in that way. And then there was the other side of me that was just like, and at the same time, I don't want to be having to report in, you know, everything I do around, you know, um, my friends, you know, because there's no risks there at all. And this was a very volatile time of trying to grow into, okay, I see certain aspects of myself that I want to change. Uh, and I want, and I also see aspects of myself that, yeah, I'm not going to change that. And so it was a really tough, and every relationship goes through this, right? And actually, this is the growth stuff that we talk about mm-hmm. in the book. And so uh, we both benefited, I think, from some of these very difficult real world relationship struggles um, in writing the book. And so, yeah, that's what was going on uh, with me. And then the process, which, uh, you know, of, of actually writing the book really helped. And I'll go through that after you have any thoughts. But yeah, I was completely drained. And actually, I'll say one more thing about that. Because I was emotionally tender, I guess the best way to put it, uh, probably as emotionally tender as Emily had ever seen me, uh, I, uh, you know, it was, it really made for, uh, you know, I think some of my uh, best writing, perhaps not best writing for you all, but certainly best writing uh, some big catharsis for me, like to just get stuff out and on paper. And and even I, I said to our editor today, and I've told you this multiple times, I, when we finished this book, I, I said, I have wanted the world to meet more of all of you for a really long time, because it, public facing Jade is very much Jade. But Jade also has a lot of other aspects that aren't as likely to come out publicly. He has a wicked sense of humor that does not always make it online. He he is like funny and witty and ridiculous and all of these like all these like quirks that make you you that I I love about you. We all love about you. And so much more of you 
came through this book like I've never heard in your writing before. And some of this book, by the way, this all may sound super serious, but some of this book is is at least to us and our editor agrees, is like drop dead hilarious. Like I was I was crying <laughs> laughing at parts of this when we were writing it and you right. would read me your portion of it and I, I had tears pouring down my face for once in during that week. Not emotionally, but because I was laughing so hard. So I'm just excited for the world to get to experience more of who you truly are in the more well-rounded way. Yeah, uh, reading this, when you read this book, half of you are going to not like me anymore. <laughs> and there's going to be a whole bunch of people who didn't like me who are going to start liking me. That's how, that's how different, that's my, re- and it, 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 you're right, it really is my real personality. Yeah, it, yeah. You know, um, not that, to your point, not that, uh, you know. Everything you see of Jade is very much Jade. There's just a big addition to yes, that. Yeah. Yes, yes. And so let me just sort of wrap this up in terms of, so if you want to use this process, I'm going to, um, and, and actually I'm going to uh, give you guys uh, something at the end of this, just so you, uh, you have it if you want to write a book or you want to do this therapeutically. The process of writing and the reason I get my books done so fast, uh, last time I had a co-author, we did it actually in four days, shorter book. Uh, Emily and I did it in 10 days. And so when you have two people writing at the same time, you can get a lot of work done really fast. But essentially, I like to take block time and essentially say the book is going to be written during this week, nothing else on or this weekend and nothing else on uh, the docket and get yourself in a place where you can uh, do this. And essentially, the way it works is it's, you know, essentially an eight hour day, you know, nine to five. And it starts with 60 minutes of writing. And it's, you know, a lot of people refer to this as a vomit draft. You do not stop. You just write. Um, now, I'm not going to go through this in depth, but before you even do this, you have to get an outline. If you don't do that, then none of what I'm going to tell you is going to work for you because then you're, you're just not going to have guidance. So you have to have an outline. Uh, but then what happens is you write for 60 minutes on and then you take some time off. And I like to take anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes off, depending. And then you write again, 60 minutes. Uh, you know, so you take a, you write for 60 minutes for sure. And then you take, I would say, don't take any more than 30 minutes, you know, uh, 15 or so minutes. What did we do? Like 20 and 20, I think like, you know, we, you, yeah. read, you read your part to me. I read. And then we that was the other thing time. because we were writing this together. We mm-hmm. would take the time to like read mm-hmm. each other's parts to one another for feedback and, and whatnot. And to also sort of set up, okay, what are we doing the next hour? Mm-hmm. And then we would, you know, like grab some food, some water, whatever we needed to do. And then we would, uh, and it was, it was strict schedule. Like we were, we were very much abiding by this schedule. Yeah. And you just basically, for me, I, you know, I basically put some music on and just write stream of consciousness. And so that's essentially uh, how we did this. Now, if you're doing this therapeutically, uh, you do it like this, you know, you're certainly going to you know, get some. But if you're really doing this therapeutically, the better way to do it is to sit down, set, you know, usually therapeutically, you're going to set your time for 20 minutes, 15 minutes, and you just drop right into the memory and the feelings of the memory of whatever happened to you. Then you, you know, you basically then write what is the story that you told yourself. And then you spend some time as if you are a, uh, you know, a um, director and producer of a movie and you finish the plot and you basically turn it into here's what I did that was beneficial and powerful and how I changed the world and bettered myself as a result of this. And that's how you do it therapeutically. But if you're writing your book as a story, you kind of do that whole thing in a chapter, you know, so the whole chapter turns everything around and then you get a complete thought and then you move on uh, to the next chapter. But um, I have a book course that basically walks you through this. In fact, I did this book course. I've done a couple book courses live, and but I, we did this book course right before we started writing. And I've decided that I'm just going to start giving people uh, this, this course. Uh, so if you're somebody who uh, wants to write a book, it's sort of one of these things that could be a nice gift to the world because uh, it's something that's like, okay, here, here's the process uh, that I use. And um, you can use the code, uh, just go to uh, drjade.com slash book course, drjade.com backslash book course to get that uh, course for free if you're listening to uh, this podcast. And that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. The only other thing I guess I would say is, so if you're interested in, uh, Emily's in my book. It's going to be coming out in spring of 2024. It is possible it could come out uh, faster. I have another book on docket to come out in January. It is possible that we could switch those, but uh, just 
because both of them are kind of getting done right at the same time. But any other things that you want to say I'd be interested in? The the one thing that I'll add to using writing therapeutically is I was telling you that about this actually right before we jumped on was that I was having a lot of fears come up a while ago, um, a month or two ago. And a girlfriend of mine said, uh, you know, why don't you just actually write, write it all down, like write down these fears. And I had some hesitation at first because I thought, oh, if I... If I write them down on paper, is this going to make them more real, like more tangible somehow? But ultimately, I, I came to the realization that those parts of me just needed to be seen, heard, and acknowledged. They just needed to, to come out and to be heard. So I made, I made the list and I, I allowed myself to just make the list of all the fears, no matter how absurd they seemed. I just let it all out. And then I went back through every single one. And I addressed every single one head on from a more logical, grounded standpoint. You may want to, you know, take a walk in between, (laughs) like writing out the fears and actually addressing the fears to just kind of ground yourself. I went through every single one. I addressed every single one and I felt a thousand times better afterwards. And I ended up writing 6,000 words in one afternoon just of the fear and then dealing with the fear and how I would manage it or why, you know, sort of uh, just coming up with the reasons why it wasn't even realistic that that would actually happen or how I would handle it, whatever it was. And I think that can be really useful. That can just be a super simple like coaching technique that you use for yourself to work through some of the fears when they come up. And it can, you can see a lot of your wounding come up and stories and everything else throughout that process. And you get, you get an opportunity to rewrite it that way as well. If that's, if that's a process that somebody likes even better, you can try it that way as well. Yeah. And I think, I think the whole point is that how healing this can be. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't realize we don't, uh, we don't have a way. And and let me just say this as we wrap up, we don't have a way. I often talk, talk, talk about the idea that mental emotional suffering is the should be looked at it's the it's the suffering is the mental emotional equivalent of physical pain and we know how to deal with physical pain right we we basically feel it first which makes us have to deal with it you know go get stitches patch it up whatever and then we heal from it by staying off of it tending to it putting antibiotic ointment on it you know changing the bandages all that kind of stuff well with mental emotional suffering we don't know how to deal with that at all we don't know how to do the feel phase we don't know how to do the deal phase and we definitely even if we get through the feel and deal because eventually you you do get to a place where you're like okay but then you have to integrate it and the heal phase that integration you don't need you know some people do i'm not saying therapy's not useful therapy coaching all that stuff has its role but one of the most powerful things that you can do to heal is processing through writing now you might be have been listening to this whole thing and being like guys i don't care about this i'm not a writer i'll never write the same process holds true talking even if you're going to talk yourself through this you're essentially doing it the same way the first thing you do is you allow yourself to feel the emotions of it the second thing you do is you tell yourself and go back and remember what did i do to deal with this which is really a story you told yourself to deal with it and then the heal phase really has to do with what am I going to turn it into for good, right? And so that's how you do this. That's how you use writing. And whether you're actually putting it down on paper, which there is research, believe it or not, that suggests that the writing process is healing in itself because it does create that separation, even talking yourself through that. It really is those three components, feel, deal, and heal. Remember the emotions that you had. Remember the story that you told yourself to deal with it. And then the idea of like, how do you heal? Well, the way you heal is you learn the lessons and you go out and teach them to other people who need them so they don't suffer the same pain. And that's what writing does. And that's what a book is. In a sense, that's why Emily and I wrote this book because we're essentially saying there's a problem. And from our perspective, the problem was people look at romantic relationships in a dysfunctional way. And for those who don't want to make the same mistakes that most people make in romantic relationships, our book is for them because it changes the entire paradigm and allows any relationship you're in, whether it lasts or doesn't last, whether it's easy or difficult, no matter what it is, for you to become better. So every relationship you have romantically after you read this book will make you a better person and a better romantic partner moving forward because you have a growth-based mindset. And, and I will just add that um, I am living example, and, and, and Jade, you are as well, because you practice what, what you preach. Um, 
one of the reasons why I'm in the best relationship I've ever been in by far is because I am living what we have written about. The the reprogramming neediness and uh, really like elevating elevating your romantic relationships while practicing non-detachment too. Um, and and that's that's the reason why sometimes we have to give in order to receive. And, and what I mean by that is sort of like the letting go to allow everything else to flow in. Otherwise it's a constriction of energy and, and it doesn't, it doesn't work well for romantic relationships. We have to be able to feel healthy, whole, and happy from within. And I, a romantic relationship, Jade sometimes disagrees with me on this, but a romantic relationship with the right person can be an incredibly beautiful healing experience and very expansive to one's own growth. I know you agree with that part. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if you agree with the healing part or not, but I don't want to speak for you. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, I think, I think it can be. It, yeah. I think it can be if you have the right growth-based mindset, which is the reason why we wrote uh, the book in the first place, mm-hmm. right? I think it sometimes is not. It, the, sometimes it's not. You know, sometimes and, uh, it's yes. actually destructive because mm-hmm. of the old uh, patterns, which is, again, why, uh, you know, why we wrote uh, this, this book. Uh, so... Anyway, hopefully you enjoyed that. And Emily, why don't you tell them where they can uh, find you and then I'll do the same because yeah. we're going to share this on both of our podcasts. Yeah. So I'm over at the Room to Grow podcast. Uh, I'm at Emily Goff Coach on Instagram. So Goff is G-O-U-G-H. Um, EmilyGoffCoaching.com. Um, you can find all the ways to work with me for coaching, uh, for news on the book upcoming in spring 2024 or sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Excited to share. So, yeah. yeah. Where can we find you? Yeah. So the book is the, you know, the working title right now, and we don't, we don't see this changing is you grow me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, for me, it's jtita.com at jtita on all the social medias and also, uh, next level human, uh, com will be up and functional, uh, you know, by the time, um, you know, that book comes out probably before, uh, and I think that's pretty much it for me. So yeah, it's, it's uh, thanks for hanging out with all of us, everybody. And hopefully you enjoyed sort of getting some more uh, insight based on this and a little bit about the book. And Emily, I love you. Love you too. <laughs> Later, everybody. You've been listening to the Next Level Human podcast with Dr. Jade Tita. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you subscribe and consider leaving a review. You make the biggest difference when you pass on your lessons and inspire others. That's why reviews like this are so powerful. Your words may be the only ones that resonate for someone else. Please remember the information in this podcast is for educational purposes only. Always consult your personal physician or therapist before making any lifestyle changes. And finally, thank you for who you are in the world and the difference you make.